four, and then I turned it off on the way up. That's awesome. Um, we are beginning a new series today. It's going to be a couple of weeks series called The Cumulative Effect. Uh, and if you have a Bible with you, go ahead and turn with me to uh, Galatians chapter 6. If you don't have one, there should be one in the seat back in front of you. Go ahead and grab it. Galatians is towards the right side of the Bible. If you find yourself in First or Second Corinthians, keep going a little bit further. If you find yourself in Revelation or you know First and Second Peter, go left. Um, typically, when we think about our lives and we kind of look back on the, the grand scope of it, we tend to kind of identify the peaks and the valleys and say, well, that's kind of what has defined my life, right? The getting accepted into that school of my choice or or getting rejected by that or, um, you know, the day that she said yes to going out with me or the day that she laughed in my face and said no, hypothetically speaking, right? Um, Making the game-winning shot, or getting that, having the doctor say, you've got cancer and you've got this long to live. Those are the kind of things that we tend to think about and say those are the defining moments. And yet, the premise of this series and what I'm going to suggest today is that just as important as those peaks and valleys are all of the steps in between them. All of the moments that seem insignificant in the grand scheme of things. The moments we don't remember. You know, what, what makes an Olympic athlete great? It's, it, we may think it's the moment they're in front of the cameras when they're racing against ten other people for the gold medal. But what gets them there are all of the laps, all of the reps, all of the days that they exercised, that they got up earlier than all of their neighbors and ate a, a, a well-balanced meal and then worked out for six or eight hours with no cameras, nobody there to cheer them on, just doing it. Those are the moments that have ultimately defined them and gotten them to that point. And so over the next couple of weeks, we're going to explore this cumulative effect. Can we throw the definition of cumulative up there for a moment? So cumulative simply means a gradual building up, something created by gradual additions. And when I think about this, I think about <clears throat> the, the shower in my, in my bathroom right now because it's got this drip going on. And it's one of those things that you don't even really hear it in our bedroom, but you go in there, and I'll be brushing my teeth, and I'll hear the bloop, bloop. And it's like maybe one every three seconds. So it's not that much. And it would probably take maybe 20 minutes worth of bloops to to give me a mouthful of water. And so you don't think much of it. And yet, 20, until a bill comes, right? Until 24 hours a day, seven days a week, over the course of a month, we're talking about gallons and gallons of water, and ultimately it could have an effect on my pocketbook, which then goes, okay, maybe I need to get this checked. That's the cumulative effect. And the reality is we see the cumulative effect playing out in every aspect of our lives. Think about finances for a moment. Uh, Most millionaires are not made overnight. There are some people who will win the lottery, and for those who who are lucky enough to do so, more often than not, their millions are gone within a short number of years because they really don't have the discipline even to hold on to it. But for the most people, there's a book called The Millionaire Next Door that talked about who are truly millionaires, and it's not the people you think. It's not the people driving the nice car, living in the nice house, wearing the nice clothes. They are stuff rich and cash poor. In fact, they're probably leveraged to the hilt because they're trying to keep up with everybody else who looks that way. No, the millionaires 
are the ones who, year after year, through discipline, are working hard and spending less than they're actually making. And then they invest those extra, the extra resources either into property or into investments that begin to have a cumulative effect. I was reading one um, person who knows more about numbers than I do that said, if a 20-year-old were to start saving $5 a day, and, and investing it so that there's some sort of, not like what the banks do where you get like a 0.001% interest rate, but actually kind of starting to work for you. If, if a 20-year-old started doing that, so Donovan, you're ahead of the game. You could start now. And if by the time you're 65, you could have over a million dollars in the bank if you simply had the discipline to do that. And you go, $5? I mean, that's a cup of coffee. You have to pay a dollar for every, like macchiato, you know, light venti, whatever, and it's a dollar per word that you use in the. So <clears throat> that's why I go and I go. I want coffee. Here's a dollar. But it, but anyway, so so if you were to do that, you just go, hey, just a dollar. It's not that big a deal. That's super easy to do. Yeah, it's easy to do, but it's easy not to do, right? Because sometimes you just need a coffee. Sometimes you just want a nice coffee, and. and, and you start extrapolating that over the course of years and you go, wait, instead of ordering a coffee, I order a water, less calories, and $5 that I now have to invest towards my future. Now, the cumulative effect can work against, or can work for us like that, but it can also work against us. You take somebody who's, you know, sitting on $30,000 of credit card debt, and there's a number of us around here that have that kind of debt. And you go, how did you get there? What did you buy? And they would probably tell you it wasn't any one or two things. It wasn't some massive purchase. It was lots of little dribs and drabs, $10 here, $20 there. Yeah, I want popcorn. Yeah, supersize it. Go for it. You know, and all of those little additions over the course of a month and they get to the end of the month and the bill comes and they go, oh my goodness, kind of like with my water, the amount of water I waste. It's like, oh my goodness, I did not see this coming. And I don't have the money to pay that off. And so they go, well, I'll get to it. But, of course, we know what happens, right? You don't get to it. And another month goes by. And on top of now the interest that is starting to accumulate on that debt, there's more debt that's added on and added on and month after month until one day they wake up and they've got thirty, sixty, over over $100,000 of credit card debt. And they just feel like they're drowning and overwhelmed. The cumulative effect can work for us or it can work against us. Or we, talk, we, we think of maybe physical fitness as another one. Can we throw that picture up there? I found this on Lee's Facebook page. <laughs> you guys only think he was on a sabbatical praying that whole time. No. That boy was hitting the gym, right? Okay, can you please take that down now? Because I can't even look at it anymore. Okay, so we know that regardless of how Lee might have worked out over the course of that, where are you going? I think you're beautiful just the way you are, okay? This will be my last weekend here, so I'm going to make the most of it. Um, We know that no matter how hard he worked out, there's no way that in one month's time you can see that kind of a transformation. Nobody can do that. It doesn't matter what you're eating, what supplements you're taking. You don't see that kind of overnight transformation because the reality is, if we want to truly be healthy, working out harder could only get us hurt or sore. But if we want to see genuine transformation, it requires 
little choices for a long period of time and we start seeing the pounds melt away. Now, there's some of you guys in here who have done that six-week challenge and seen tremendous results in six weeks. That said, a lot of that is water weight. And at the end of it, the real question becomes, are you going to continue in the path that you started or are you going to stop there? If you stop there, a lot of times what we see is that people will put the the weight back on. Have you ever seen a weightlifter, a bodybuilder, when they're not working out? A lot of times those guys are way overweight because the tendency is to continue to eat, to continue to to have the the taking stuff in. But when the exercise isn't happening, it really quickly creeps back on. So the cumulative effect can work for you or against you. Oh, he's coming back. Oh, good. Um, We see this in relationships. Right? I can't tell you, I mean, several times I've sat down with couples who fell in love, got married, they were, they were absolutely sure that this is, this is it, and now all of a sudden they're facing the specter of adultery or, or a breakdown in their marriage, and they're looking at one another going, I don't know who the person is sitting across from me. How on earth did we get here? Now, more often than not, it's not a single thing that causes the divorce. It may be that there is an, an affair, but that affair didn't happen in a vacuum. It came about because of years of slowly drifting apart, years of choosing work or hobbies over one another, years of focusing on the kids and forgetting about actually interacting. And when the kids finally get in bed, turning on the TV or pulling out the phones and disappearing into that, or pulling out a book, and choosing those things over choosing to interact. Years of criticism that begins to, brick by brick, build a wall that eventually they they just wake up one day and it's just too, it seems too big to surmount. And well, that girl at work seems to pay a lot more attention to me than my own wife does. And, and, And she actually appreciates me. She affirms me. All I'm getting is criticism at home or whatever it happens to be. The cumulative effect can work for us or it can work against us. And the reality is it's easy to do some of these things that can cause great transformation, but it's also really easy not to do them. Now, in Galatians chapter 6, we see uh, the Apostle Paul writing to people in Galatia, which is a, a kind of a Gentile community. It's a church that's within a, a non-Jewish area. And this is what he says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 and 8. We're only going to look at two verses today. Oh, I'm sorry. You know, before I get there, I just want to show you something. Before we actually get to Galatians chapter 6, I want to show you how the cumulative effect can play out. Look at um, Galatians chapter 5. So you're, you're there already. Galatians chapter 5, verses 19. We see this, this thing happening where you either get one thing or another. If you lean into the flesh, what's going to happen? The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. These are the kind of things that come about by leaning into our flesh and taking little steps in that direction. On the flip side, when we begin to lean into the spirit within us, we begin to allow the spirit to move and say, I want to, God, show me what to do. And I'm going to submit that. We see in verse 22, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
those are the things that are produced by a lifetime of just submitting to the Spirit within us. And so we get to Galatians chapter 6 and we read this in verse 7. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. You can't pull one over on him. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from their flesh will reap destruction. But whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. This is what we might call the law of sowing and reaping. The law of sowing and reaping. It's, we're aware of laws in nature, right? The law of gravity, the law of magnetism, the laws of thermodynamics, if you, you paid any attention in college. These things naturally occur. They're happening regardless of whether we understand them or not. They still hold sway over our lives. So, for instance, the law of gravity. I don't care if you know how to articulate why it happens. I, it doesn't even matter if you're particularly happy with the law of gravity. The law of gravity doesn't care. It's going to continue to affect your life. So if you walk out of here and you say, I don't understand the law of gravity, and quite honestly, I don't like the law of gravity, and you trip on one of the steps on the way out, you're going to still be affected by the law of gravity. It does not cease to exist simply because you don't acknowledge it. Make sense? In the same way, the law of sowing and reaping is one of those immutable laws that have been built into the fabric of existence. It starts all the way back in creation. You don't need to turn here, but can we throw up Genesis chapter 1, verse 11 on there? This is from Genesis 1:11. It says, God said, and this is as God is speaking the world into existence. God said, let the land sprout with vegetation, every sort of seed-bearing plant and trees that grow seed-bearing fruit. These seeds will then produce the kinds of plants and trees from which they came, right? You plant a seed, and from that seed will come more fruit of that same kind. And that's what happened. This is the law of sowing and reaping from the very opening page of Scripture, and we see it still working out in our existence today. And so as we saw in Galatians chapter 5, if you sow to please the flesh, you're going to reap a harvest, a fruit that comes from the, the flesh. Lust, anger, dissension, uh, you know, judgmentalism. Those are the kind of fruits that are produced when we lean into our flesh, when we give into that. And if you sow to please the Spirit and you say, I just... I'm going to submit. And in this moment, even though my flesh says I really want to eat that, um, that dessert, I'm not going to order dessert tonight. Well, you know, and we begin to see, well, I'm not sure that love, joy, peace, patience, all those kind of things come up from not ordering dessert. But you get my, you know, so you lean into the spirit. And I'm not really sure the Holy Spirit really cares whether or not you order dessert, unless you've been convicted of such, in which case maybe it does. But we see this playing out. So then we come back to Galatians Chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. Do not be deceived. In other words, don't fool yourself. Don't, don't kid yourself because God can't be mocked. God, you're not going to pull one over on him. He, it's not like he's going to be taken by surprise. A man sows, I'm sorry, a man reaps what he sows. What I want to do this morning is I want to look at three things that we can pull from this. Three Truths, And I'm going to tell you up front, these are going to seem extremely basic and extremely like, well, no, duh. 
And, and then we're going to dig into them a little bit, and we're going to begin to recognize just how important it is for us to remind ourselves. These are foundational things. If any of you have ever planted anything, they're going to make sense, and you already know them. But just because we know them doesn't mean we're living by them. And I simply want us to remind ourselves of these things this morning. So, first thing that we learn from the law of sowing and reaping is that the seed that you plant matters. The seed you plant matters. You know, we, I haven't, I, I don't have a green thumb, I have a brown thumb, so for me this seems, you know, this doesn't necessarily flow out of me. You go over to Diane's house and it is just fruitful and beautiful. It's like walking into the Garden of Eden and then you come over to me, it's like the desert of Engedi or something like that. Totally different places. But we all know this. If you want to grow apples, what do you need to plant? Apple seeds. And if you plant lemon seeds and you want apples, what are you going to get? So we shouldn't be surprised when we get lemons when we plant lemon seeds. And in the same way, and we all know this, it's like, no, duh, but sometimes we plant seeds in our life expecting a different type of fruit. For instance, you want joy and peace in your life, right? That's a fruit of the Spirit. We want that, and yet you're sowing seeds of bitterness and anger towards others. You hold on to past slights and refuse to extend forgiveness. You sow seeds of jealousy and discontentment as you begin to compare your life to other people's lives. And then you wonder why you're not seeing fruit of joy and peace in your life. What gives? God, where are you in this? Well, if you wanted joy and peace, then you need to stop planting bitterness and jealousy and start planting seeds of joy or of gratitude and thanksgiving, maybe even some generosity and find that that fruit will be produced. But if we continue to plant the type of seeds that we're planting in our lives, then don't be surprised when the fruit matches the seed. Or you, you tell me, man, I really, really want to have a, a thriving relationship with my wife or my future spouse. And then you begin to plant seeds of lust. And you're shocked at the fruit that you get. When you start to feel discontent in your marriage, when, you, when you're your interaction with your spouse doesn't live up to your expectations. Are you surprised? The fruit matches the seed. I know that you wanted intimacy, but you plant seeds of criticism and then wonder why you feel so alone, why, you're, why the people around you don't draw close to you. You, you plant seeds of greed and selfishness. And then you harvest a, 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 you, you reap a harvest of discontent and you go, what gives? Where, what's going on here? You plant seeds of laziness and passivity and you reap a harvest of disappointment and regret. Do not be deceived. A man reaps what he sows. So what are you sowing? Now, this happens... This plays out in our lives, and, and I'll be honest, it's embarrassing. When you say, I'm a Christ follower, and, and, and you know, your hope in your life will be defined by the fruits of the Spirit, just pouring out, and yet instead you kind of find yourself being angry and resentful and um, disappointed and discouraged and overwhelmed and um, addicted and all of these kind of things. And you go, ah, that's embarrassing, because I feel like a really bad uh, 
sower of seeds, right? I told everybody I was going to have apples, and, and all of a sudden I've grown lemon trees. That makes me look pretty incompetent. When that happens, when our fruit doesn't match what we thought it was going to get, you know what we tend to do? Blame someone else, right? It's just the easiest thing to do. If it didn't work out, well, it must be because somebody else was messing with me. Somebody else's fault. I wouldn't be like this if my parents hadn't ridden me as hard as they had. I learned this from my dad. He had anger issues, so why do you think I would be any different from him? I wouldn't, come on. I wouldn't lust so much if my spouse just met my needs. I wouldn't be passive if people actually cared to hear what I had to say. But since they don't, what's the point of trying? I wouldn't be greedy if it weren't so stinking expensive to live in Costa Mesa or Orange County. And if the government didn't take so much of my stuff, I wouldn't be so greedy. You see how it's easy to begin pointing the finger? And, and let's be honest with ourselves. We do it because of Adam and Eve. It's their fault anyway, right? <laughs> they started it. First they sinned, thanks so much. And then they start pointing the finger. Well, it's her, the woman you gave me, God. She made me do it. Oh, no, no, no. It's the serpent, God. He made me do it. This is hardwired into us. I think of a story, and I'm sorry, but this is uh, it's kind of ridiculous. There's a guy up in Lodi named Curtis Gokey who got into the news a couple years ago because he was suing the city for a trash truck that backed into his car. Understandable except for the fact that he was the guy driving the trash truck. (laughs) He worked for the city, and he said, you know, the city didn't train me well enough, so I ran into my car, and I think that I need to have the city pay for my car to get fixed. It ended up getting thrown out because apparently you can't sue yourself. (laughs) But isn't that human nature? If I mess up, pass the buck. We do this with other people, but man... Do we do this with God, right? I want, I want a thriving marriage, and it's not. God, why on earth did you put me with her? We're so different. And it was fun, and, and, and it, was, it, was, you know, it was thriving for a while, but man, they go, wait, wait a minute. For the last six, eight years, you've been planting seeds of criticism. You have just been taking pot shots at one another. And you have put more emphasis on either raising your kids or on work and hobbies and all these other things. You've been planting seeds of neglect. Why on earth are you surprised that you have grown apart? And that you don't even seem to recognize the person that you married. Or, I love this one. Parents who go, gosh, I mean, I've, I've read that passage that if you train up a kid in the way they'll go, they won't depart from it. God, you made a promise to me, and my kids don't have any interest in going to church. Okay? But what have you modeled over the course of your time in raising them? Did you place an emphasis on going to church? Or, oh man, the sports season, we're going to take a break from church for a while. Because we really don't want to miss out on this. This is maybe their college future, right? Or, you know, God, why why don't my kids want to read the Bible? Did they ever see you read the Bible? I mean, I know that they saw you reading the newspaper and watching television most mornings. Did they ever see you ever spending time in God's Word? Because how can we expect our kids to be any different from us? I just spent two days in this parenting seminar, and basically the heart of it was, 
Be the kind of people you want your children to be because they will glean from you. They will learn from you. If you want your children to love God, then model it for them. You focus. I mean, isn't that the Shema? Deuteronomy 6, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and love your, and, you know, all, and then you pass it on to your kids. But first it has to be real for yourself. So we've got to remember that we, we tend to blame God for seeds that we've planted in our own life. But it's not as if our God is sitting up in heaven with this ledger. Oh, screwed up in there again. You're going to pay for that one. Oh, yeah, you, you yelled at your wife. Good job. Yeah, you're going to pay for that one. Oh, impatience with your kids, you hypocrite. You know, you're yelling at them for, you know, raising your voice. What are you doing right now? Right? It's not like he's up there in heaven with a ledger and his little shiny glasses waiting to catch you and give you a ticket. The reality is our God has designed this world with this law in place that just operates that what you sow is what you will reap. So what we're sowing matters. That's the first thing we learn. Second thing that we're going to learn is that a seed won't grow unless it's planted. A seed won't grow unless it's planted. Um, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said, it is a wise man who hears these words of mine and then puts them into action. It's a wise man who hears these words and doesn't just go, oh, those are good words. Let me write those down on my, my insert, stick it in my Bible and forget about it till next week. No, here's the words and actually acts on them. It makes me remember a time when Ethan and I went to Home Depot because he was really kind of in that, like, I want to grow something. This is fun. Plants have seeds? That's cool. I want some watermelon, Daddy. Okay, cool. Let's go to Home Depot. And we bought some watermelon seeds. We took them home. Then my son read the back of it with me, and he realized it takes about 120 days for a watermelon seed to grow into a watermelon. He had a little bit shorter time frame. He was thinking, like, this afternoon. I'd love... <laughs> some of those beautiful watermelons on the, on the sleeve of this thing. And so he did what any like, five-year-old would do. He forgot about it. Right? I'm going to go outside and I'm going to play basketball instead because that's more fun. And so we stuck the watermelon seeds on our counter, forgot about it. They ultimately you know, made it into the junk drawer that everything goes to die in. Right? And a couple of weeks ago, that junk drawer became so overladen in our house that the bottom literally popped out and it started spilling everywhere. So I'm like, all right, I guess we're going through the junk drawer today. And I took everything out and I found the watermelon seeds. Now, I got to tell you, I did not get upset about the fact that I didn't have watermelons growing in there, even though I'd had those seeds for well over 120 days. Because I know that that seed is not going to grow unless it's planted. And in the same way, we can hear messages every single day of the, or, you know, we can listen to messages in our car. We can listen to them in podcasts. We can come every single Sunday and hear things and go, yes, I agree. Amen. Write it down. Stick it on our Bible and it will have zero impact on our life. A seed will not grow unless it's planted. We need to put these things into practice in our lives. And if we do, we will see the law of growing and reaping or sowing and reaping. We will see the cumulative effect begin to happen if we don't. Well, it's still working in the background. It just may not necessarily give us the fruit that we want. Number three. 
And actually, let me, let me go ahead and just read Galatians chapter 6, 7, and 8 again. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. To the man who sows to please the flesh will reap destruction, and whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. So, what you plant matters. And you have to plant the seed if you hope for it to grow. And number three, we will always reap more than we sow. We'll always reap more than we sow. Because when you plant a watermelon seed, you're not hoping for one watermelon. When you plant an apple seed, you're not hoping to get one apple. You're hoping for bushels of apple. And in the same way, when we begin to plant these seeds, we begin to see an exponential growth in our life. You might say, okay, wait a minute. You know, I watch this show, and I love this show, and I know that this show isn't necessarily all that good, but it's just a show. It doesn't affect me. But if there's one thing I've learned in my life, it's that the stuff that goes in affects the way that we view the world. Affects. I have found that my interactions with my wife, I, when I used to watch West Wing, and this is kind of that, just like, it's frenetic, the kind of interaction they would have. And then I would start talking to my wife, and I was sarcastic and frenetic the same way. It absolutely influenced me. And one of the things I learned from a guy who is a leader in the 12-step program is he goes, listen, what we celebrate becomes the norm. You want to know why we have a bunch of teen pregnancies? Well, when you start having shows on teen moms, suddenly get an influx of teen pregnancies. When you start celebrating snide people, suddenly more, we become more snide and sarcastic ourselves. What we celebrate becomes the norm. So be, just be aware that what's going in is going to have an effect. Or you go, hey, listen, yeah, I'm having this conversation on Facebook with somebody I haven't seen for years. There's nothing there. It's not like I'm having an affair. It's just nice to catch up. It's no big deal. It's just a conversation. But I've got to tell you guys that nobody goes looking to have an affair. Conversations can very easily snowball into something else. Or you go, hey, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm single. I'm dating. I want to date. I really like this guy. Yeah, he doesn't have the best, you know, uh, track record. No, he doesn't really know Jesus. But man, it's just a date. What's a date? It's no big deal. May I simply remind you that every single couple in here, their marriage started with one date. And it grew from there. So the seeds we plant have an exponential growth, and we just need to be aware of that. Of course, the law of, of exponential growth can work against us like that, but it can also work for us. And so you, you go, you know what? I'm going to set my alarm 10 minutes earlier every day. And I'm going to get up. And since there's 31 days typically in a month and there's 31 chapters of Proverbs, I'm going to read the Proverbs of today. It was Proverbs 5 I was reading, right? And then tomorrow it's going to be November 6th. I'll read Proverbs 6. And I'm going to read that. In fact, today my boys woke up earlier because unlike Ken, my boys didn't get the memo that they got an extra hour of sleep. So they were up at 5 a.m. going, woo, it's time. Let's turn on the TV. I go, no, 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 no. Come sit with me, right? Um, so I'm like, okay, today we're reading Proverbs five. It's about adultery. Here we go. Right. But I had a great conversation with Ethan about just the choices that we make. It was very interesting. And we kind of avoided some of the topics, but it was great. 
you do that one day, and then you do it again, and you do it the next day. And, and I, I tell you guys, the law of the cumulative effect, or the law of sowing and reaping, begins to have an effect in your life so that one day you wake up and you realize, man, that fruit of the Spirit, I didn't intentionally try to grow it, but it's been naturally being produced in my life. I am more loving towards the people I interact with. I'm just more naturally joyful. I have more peace even in the midst of circumstances that would typically devastate me. I'm more patient with people. I don't fly off the handle as easy. I'm more kind and gentle. I even find myself having more self-control. And I, it's not like I tried to make these things happen. It's not like I'm saying, I've got to do these things. They're just naturally being produced in my life. Or, or you say, you know what? I really want to, to make an impact in my family. I don't want my family to be defined as it so often has been by critique and by you know, browbeating my wife or my, my kids or something. So I, I, I can't make them be different. I can only really affect myself. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to start writing notes and, and stick it into my kids' lunches every once in a while. I'm going to send a text to my wife from time to time to say, man, I love you. I'm so, I'm so grateful God has given you to me. And do that again and again and again. I'm going to choose to put my phone down when I walk in the house. Kathy's going to start holding me to this. Um, I'm going to put my phone down. I'm not going to pick it back up. I'm not even going to have it in my pocket. I'm going to get those phantom, bu- phantom buzzes every once in a while where you think, oh, no, I don't even have my phone in my pocket. What's going on? But instead, I'm going to choose to be present with my family. Look my kids in the eye. When Grayson says, will you play trains with me, Daddy? I'm actually going to do it. And just see the fruit that begins to play out. I was talking, you know, we, we were learning at this uh, conference we went to on parenting from a couple who has raised their children into adulthood. And now they're watching their grandchildren being raised by these children that they poured into. And they said, you get about 20 years to influence your children for better or for worse. And I look at Kathy and I go, with Ethan, we're almost halfway there. It goes by so quickly. And 20 years from now, 10 years from now, Am I going to look back on this time and go, man, I'm so glad I read those couple extra pages in my book. Or I'm so glad I watched that news report. I'm so glad that I got to check in on Facebook. Or am I going to be like so grateful that I got to get down on the ground with Grace and and show him, not just tell him, show him that his daddy loves him. So glad that I went and played the 456th game of dodgeball or, or handball with Ethan. Right? Or went with him next door to go get the ball once it got kicked over the fence again. So, do not deceive yourself. God can't be mocked. You can't pull one over on him. You will reap what you sow. If you sow to please the flesh, then you're going to reap a harvest of destruction. If you sow to please the Spirit, then you will see the fruit of the Spirit begin to well up, naturally produced. And this week, here's what I would love to encourage you to do. I want you to consider one area in your life that you would like to see some sort of transformation. One area that over the next 120 days you'd like to see some change. Maybe it's your, your walk with God. Maybe it's your, your being present with your family. Maybe it's how you, how you look and you feel and your physical fitness. Maybe it's your finances. I don't know what it is, and it could be a number of things. But pick one area you go, I want to see some transformation. I want to see some change. And then the question I want you to consider prayerfully this week is what are one or two little, seemingly insignificant things that I could begin to do that would plant seeds that would produce that kind of change? I'm not going to tell you what they are. 
Next week, we'll continue to explore this topic a little bit. But that's the question for you. Now, I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward. We're going to transition just slightly. Because we've been talking a lot about doing. Talking a lot about how we are going to potentially change ourselves through the choices that we make. But we must never forget as Christ followers that our identity with Christ is defined not by what we've done, but by what has been done for us. That we don't, you know, the rules, and that the Bible is not just a set of rules that says this is the ladder you have to climb in order to attain righteousness. No, those rules are put there to to basically show us just how desperately we need a Savior. And then Jesus comes and he says, what you cannot do for yourself, namely make yourself righteous, I will do for you. So we don't stand before God as righteous people because of what we've done. And no amount of planting different seeds is going to produce different fruit. We stand before God as sons and daughters because of what Jesus did for us, giving himself for us. And so I wanted to end today just in in a tangible way of reminding ourselves that regardless of what we want to change and the fruit we want to see produced, it all begins out of the soil of grace. These are the seeds that were planted a couple thousand years ago. This, the, the, the bread that symbolizes Jesus' body that was given for us. And, and the, this juice that symbolizes Jesus' blood that literally was poured out to water the soil of hard-hearted people. That when God looks at us, he doesn't see a bunch of sinners. He sees saints, which just means a saved sinner. And all of us are growing within the soil of that grace. And if we're trying to do it apart from grace, it's like trying to grow seeds without soil, without water, without sunlight. It's impossible. So I'm going to invite you guys to come forward um, as this song is playing, I'm going to invite my elders, families, Lee and Mary, can I have you guys over here? Byron and Diane, Fippers, can you guys head back there? I'm going to invite you guys to come forward and get a piece of bread and, and a cup of juice and then head on back to your seats. And then once everybody has it, we're going to take communion together as a family who declares that we are defined not by what we do, but by what has been done for us. So Father, I, I thank you for the reminder that although you may have created a, a, an immutable law, this law of sowing and reaping that affects our lives every single day of the week just as the law of gravity does, you transcend those things when you said, I will give my life for you. Come to me, all you who are weary, all you who are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. And so now we come as as a family who have been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. And we come to receive elements that remind us of what you've done for us. Jesus, in your name, amen. I'm going to invite you to come forward.